Welcome to Profitable Powerhouse Properties with the AHI Group. I'm Jonathan Cook, and with me as always... I'm Brian Jenkins. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. It's not an afternoon crib, Brian. It's not. It's not block somewhere. But, uh, <laughs> but today with us we have Tom Horn from Thomas Horn Appraisal Services. Tom, introduce yourself. Hello. Yeah, I'm Tom Horn. I'm a real estate appraiser in the local Birmingham area. I've been appraising for close 30 years, residential properties. And yeah, I just covered uh, the general Birmingham area. Great. I've been home for, gosh, I don't know, 12, 13 years probably. Yeah. yeah. Um, trying to put the pieces together, but we, uh, we met through a local BNI group and uh, been been uh, cohorts and friends since then and, and uh, respect him a lot. So he was he was on our go to list. Explain the BNI group. Uh, Business Networking Incorporated. So just a. Uh, Great referral group. Uh, you're required to produce uh, or move yeah. on. Yeah. And produce or move on. That's how we should all work. Hey, all right, investors, produce or move on. If you're not producing, if there's any BNI folks listening, I listen, apologize for that. <laughs> that rough interpretation. I that, think uh, it's applicable. Uh, no, it's, it's a great group, and uh, we had a great focus, particularly around real estate, that took the group. And uh, enjoyed my, my time. I'm no longer part of the group. Are you still plugged in? No, I decided to take it another route to. Uh, um, you know, what we're talking about, like blogging, social media, that type of thing. So it seems to work a little bit better. Yeah, and that's kind of where I was. I just, uh, in the growth of everything we had going on, the number of referrals I was getting for the time value add-in, it was uh, not as productive as other avenues, so I, I chose to go a different way. But, uh, well, I mean, once you've met everybody, right? I know, it's, the thing is, it's such a great group, and, and the honest thing is, and probably Tom can chime in on this as well, but the, the folks that were in the group, I'm still pretty close to them. I communicate with them all the time. All these years later, it's just, uh, you know, you just stay connected. And that's not the lesson for today. No. It's just connect, but, but I think it does. Connections are good. Connections are good. We did that with the uh, RAI and yeah. meeting meet, meet groups of folks that not necessarily are my clients or my potential clients, but but they're good people to know. They're, they're wholesalers. Yeah. I, mean, I, I meet with a lot of wholesalers. And my clients aren't wholesalers, but they're investors. That's right. That's and so right. if they are looking for a good property that can turn into a turnkey property or a good property that this might sell and get, get a way higher return than what they bought at, can this appraise for this much and then give me tons more? We're not going to find those people with wholesalers. It's good thing those folks. That's right. In connections, you know, probably a good time to throw out an upcoming event that we have coming up. Uh, we'll be pushing pushing this out in future episodes, but we have a property management summit coming out here in Birmingham, uh, June 5th uh, in Pelham, Alabama, and uh, we're going to be uh, inviting property managers from Huntsville, Birmingham, and uh, areas in between all the way down to Montgomery, so we're expecting a great turnout. I've got some... Atlanta uh, as well, right? Yeah, I've got some uh, NARPM, NARPM uh, operators coming in from Atlanta, and then there's uh, myself, uh, Matthew Whitaker with GK Houses, so we've got a great lineup for a, a nice panel discussion, a great hour, hour and a half of quality education for, for property managers. So so we're super excited about that. Uh, we've got great sponsorship. Some of them we've spoken with so far, so I'm yep. yet to come on upcoming episodes. But uh, just be on be on the listen for that. We'll be releasing the details. We'll have a Facebook event. Um, and we, we're just incorporate you know, just encourage people to come out and listen. And since we're doing this live on the episode as opposed to a recording commercial beforehand, that, that's gonna set the episode drop that this is good way to go. Way to go. Uh, but so I want to talk about appraisals because I, mean, I was just talking about uh, wholesalers and, and meeting anyone um, with our connections we're talking about. And one of the things that, that that's on everyone's mind, everyone that's listening here is, is what, what is your basic tenets of investing in real estate is clearly buy low, sell high. How do you know how high that high can be? And appraisal is the most important part when it comes to can you sell it and get, and even if it's getting uh, get a one percent rent rent rate back. We'll, hey, we'll still appraise to hit whatever that number is when it comes time to turn it to another investor out of state. Right. Or if you're buying one, will it appraise enough? Can I get a loan to yeah, get well, this? Well, there's a couple things. So the initial loan, and you know, some of our folks will buy them, rehab them, and then they're looking to have an appraisal done after post rehab, right? Yeah, absolutely. So then they can pull some money out of there, move on to the next purchase and, and make that happen. So, so there's a lot of different things we need to probably talk about today. Absolutely. Um, and I think. Listeners are going to be interested in how Tom conducts his business and goes mm-hmm. about doing the appraisal first. And I envision there's a question out there somewhere that somebody's thinking about what well, can I do. Received an email already. Probably that's right. That's right. So, but I don't have those pulled up. So. so trying to focus on what adds the most value to the property in the in the course of yeah. that. So what's going to give you the most bang for the buck? Type that's what that's what I'm really interested in is 
what what kind of swing can there be between? And I'm going to talk about my favorite market, but in generality, so I don't just get stuff on on my little my little spot that I need a T-shirt for. But actually, one of our team members is working on that T-shirt for you. <laughs> yeah, he's like Crocs man. Um, so you know, I want to talk about that area. Clearly has distressed homes in it still. Mm-hmm. So when you, when I, I did a market analysis for, for a five-year span, just from talking to some new investors that were considering buying in the area, uh, what they can expect. Uh, and so I, I was looking at what's actually happening rent-wise, because that's what's important to them. But for a lot of people that are turnkeying properties and are going to sell it, what's going to really matter is that appraisal. That's going to be really key on the end of, yeah, I can get this to the top of the rental market, but once I get it to the top of the rental market, am I going to be able to sell it for what is going to make that rent 1%? Am I still going to be able to sell it that much? Even though I can get it for rent, they're appraised for rent. Right. I mean, if somebody will pay it for rent, then what do you do? That's all you need. But, but if you're selling it afterwards, it's got to hit that appraisal. And so I wanted to talk about that kind of a, that kind of a market where the low end is so much further from the high end. Mm-hmm. Specifically... I'm just going to throw these random numbers out there. If you're listening from all over the country and you don't know, Eastlake is a market in Birmingham. But from the numbers standpoint, the low end of that market currently, from a retail resale, retail resale standpoint, this is just what's for sale, ranges from about $10,000 on the very lowest of the low end. And those are, that's falling apart. You know, paved in roof, you've got to put $50,000 before you have work into it, minimum, to make it livable, up to... There's currently a beautiful home retail resale in there for $180,000. And that's the kind of swing. And how big do you think that area is, right? Maybe four or five square miles tops. It's, it's like 70 blocks, basically. If I'm thinking about it from where it actually is, it's like 70 blocks of homes. So it's, it's maybe smaller than even a, a few square miles. It's, it's not a big area, but that's your range. And it's got, there's a ton of inventory in that mm-hmm. market. So how can you decide? What those real numbers are going to be, what 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 a bank will give for a property for a loan. If someone's not buying cash over there, someone has to finance one of these properties. Like, okay, can we can we guarantee that somebody might want to buy this because it's going to return fine? But can the seller get out of it what they want? Can can they make profit over there? Can they can they get the house appraised in the end to make their ten thousand, twelve thousand, twenty thousand dollars in the end of? Uh, after the retail or after the rehab work, yeah, done. whatever so, the benchmark is, whatever it happens to be. Sure, right. there's definitely people out there that if I make five grand, I'm happy with it. So we deal with a lot. Not uh, that area. So where's the best place to start with that? Is it uh, you know if uh, just giving an example? Mm-hmm. I guess focus in on a example property and, and say, hey, if if you how would you go about identifying comparables that mm-hmm. are actually going to support this or or disprove it one one way or the other, either support it or disprove it. Yeah. Is it just going to be like what you're looking at? How much of it is what's in the property? How much of it is just what the market holds? That's, that's I think, the start I want to put right. with. I'm familiar with Eastlake. I've, okay. been, I've done some work over the recently, and I'm keeping an eye on those properties you're talking yeah. about because those are going to be the next comps. Yeah. But that's the issue right now. There's just listings. I mean, we can in an appraisal, we can use listings. We can um, use pending sales to support a um, an upward trend in property values because typically those are higher. So we have to look at a lot of different things when we're doing an appraisal. But And, and Eastlake is in a transition right now because um, – Five six years ago, um, it was this stuff wasn't happening. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of a, a wait and see type thing because people are rehabbing these properties and they're putting these higher prices on them. But until they sell, it's kind of hard to uh, support those higher values if that makes sense. Uh, but within an appraisal, I mean, you know, we look at several different factors. We look at um, what people have put into the property, you know, the uh, the cost, that type of thing. Cost is not always equal to value, but we do look at, you know, the rehabilitation costs. We look at what they're doing to the property. So it's not just a simple matter of, you know, taking the three high sales and averaging them or whatever. So, but we do have to see uh, the trends in the area and see what's happening. And like I said, looking at those uh, listings and pending sales is going to be helpful, but it's, Appraising over there in the upper price ranges is not easy right now. I'm sure it's not. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we talked about some trends last episode, last episode, excuse me, tongue tied okay. this afternoon. I don't know what's going on there. But we talked about some trends we see on, on the on the rental side. So we saw uh, in the purchase side. So we talked about. Are talking about when we were talking about the quality of scope? The quality of scope, yeah, that episode. Yeah. Right? We haven't released it yet, but it's coming out. So we talked about um, some trends with the rental applicant, if you will. Yeah. Okay, and the first-time home buyer 
coming into that market. Sure. Particularly focused on the millennial market purchasing there because of the proximity to downtown and what's happening within the community itself. I think both you guys have kind of touched on that a little bit, but it, it's yeah. a transition. And, and a very There's more owner occupant over in that, that area. Right. You talk about who hires a lawn service. You know, it's, yeah. it's not the, the rental, it's the owner occupant. It's the owner occupant. Right. Not only the owner occupant, the owner occupant that has disposable income. Disposable income, pride and ownership, yeah. you know, all this. Not stuff. only will they pay for someone to cut their grass, they'll pay it consistently. It, I mean, you pay 100, I don't know how much lawnmowers are anymore, but 200 bucks maybe a lawnmower, or you can pay $20 a month or $20 or however often you get your grass cut. You're going to spend more. Paying service and getting your own way, but yeah, that, that service is Johnny across the street at twenty dollars service. <laughs> Whatever, I, mean, I don't know how much long service costs anymore. Man, you're you're, you're on the operation side. I'm too busy now. <laughs> what happened to me? Um, but that, yeah, that's definitely a different buyer, and, and again, that's still kind of all in trends and transitions currently. So, so yeah, that market is. I don't know if volatile is the word or just... Uh, I wouldn't call it volatile. I think that sends the wrong message. It does. That's not what I mean. Yeah, it's, it's, in, it's in transformation, but I think it's in a positive transformation. Yeah. And as each neighborhood that goes through revitalization and, and rebirth, mm-hmm. you know, like the Phoenix Project kind of thing, yeah. I think it goes through it. I think that back to Tom's point, we've talked about five, and then we've even talked to 10 years ago. For that particular neighborhood 10 years ago, you don't want to be over there. Um, there was nothing good going on, and everything was in disrepair. So, but now, I mean, just evidence of driving down the street, seeing the houses, seeing the private ownership, mm-hmm. um, you know, yard of the month sign in the yard, or whatever the case might be. So, that, those are all positive factors, yeah. and I'm sure in your line of work as well, Tom, just you know, giving you points of reference back to and back to that positive sales experience and and, and seeing what has sold and, and being able to track that and then looking at finishes. And I guess my question to you is... That's what I was going to get to is the finishes. That's, that's what I see the difference when I'm looking at a house in, in any area. And, and I'm going to use the western side of town and, and, and that side of town as, as kind of... You know, similar marketplaces, in, and I'm just using it from a rental standpoint. And I think we figured out where this episode is going to place because it needs to place right after the yeah, does. The, uh, the the scope of rehab and, and the comparisons. So that means we have to. So this all makes sense. We're June. That's right. All right. So I'm going to use the western side of town and the eastern side of town. If you're listening, you're not familiar with Birmingham. It's applicable to wherever. Just replace these markets with whatever the the I guess equivalent market is in your your neck of the woods. But so. The western side of town, average rent, let's just call your average rent on a 32, you know, 750. Same thing in the east side area. Your, your average rent, let's just call them about that. If you look over the western side of town, those rents have been the same. I mean, that's your, that's your middle rent, your mid-range rent. But they all, the quality of that rehab, we all know what it looks like. So those brown walls, that brown carpet, uh, it's just kind of painted over and, and done. Bold product. Bold product. It's, you know, the, the people that are buying those and just getting those rent ready and getting that cash flow, they're buying, you know, more, more than a handful of properties at a time. They're buying large amounts and putting the exact same product in, in all of them. And over on the eastern side, even though the rent rates are about the same, there's a visible difference in what that rehab scope looks like. It, instead of that, that brown color and that brown carpet and that same, just make it everything is easy to, to handle for a renter. We don't want them to mess anything up, so we're going to save as much money as possible. But on the eastern side of town, even at the same price point, you're looking at, instead of carpet, it's those vinyl plank flooring. You're looking at the gray tones. You're looking at the fixtures are more custom looking. Um, your your satin nickel versus the brass or whatever it is. You've got dishwashers in, right. in kitchens, which is but the other piece, the, the other piece in that is the, the potential for equity gain. So that's what west side of town, you're not going to see it. Yeah. It's, it's flat line or a very slight increase whatsoever. That, yeah, that's what I wanted to get to. Is, is that something that you've noticed? Is oh, definitely. If, you, if, um, if I were looking at interior photos of these houses, I wouldn't think that they were over there. I would think that they were in another area of town yeah. that you typically see those in. And those are things that we look at because whenever we do an appraisal, we have to compare the, the comparables to the subject property. And, uh, and and if a person is rehabbing this property to a certain level, let's say granite countertops, the hardwood floors, and the, the items you were talking about, well, we'd look at what the comparables look like, and we're comparing it like that. And I'm seeing more and more like that. And I, I totally understand what you're talking about with the west side of town. Yeah. Because um, they're, they're, you, know, you might see... Um, you know, a home like this, like they're doing in East, like maybe one in 50 or something yeah, like that. But you hate to use the lipstick on a pig. It's right, not quite right. that bad, but it's, 
it's, it's very, close. very standardized rehab scope. And uh, same same thing, no matter which which application. It is bulk. I think you hit it best on the head. It's, it's a bulk product. Right. That, is, that is one bulk product over there. They might as well be apartments stacked on top of each other. Yeah. They're just well, and I think the buyer profile is a little bit different, too, because the, these buyers in Eastlake are expecting that. And they're, buyer profile. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but... You know, that is just another piece of information that we look at, and you know, along with all this other stuff to gauge the uh, what's happening to the area. You know, along with neighborhood support services, you know, if you see commercial businesses coming in because they see potential in the area, that's going to help. Um, you know, I think they have the East Lake Initiative that they, they came up with several years ago that's helping promote this. There's a uh, East Lake Merchants uh, Society, or I, I see it. See them little signs in there from time to time, and it's clearly it's local local shop owners and stuff trying to just revitalize the the markets in there, trying to get not necessarily the home prices, but just get business over yeah. there and get get quality of life in the quality of yeah. life better. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you, you definitely definitely see that with like there's a cafe over there now, um, a little trendy cafe thing. Uh, there's the barbecue place that's been there forever. I mean, somehow that's so not still, under the radar. Still, still I've got to take man. you over there, right? It's I've heard about it so many times. So. I'll show you the picture. Come on, man. You want 20 pounds of ribs? We can go. <laughs> we can go anytime you want. And if you're in California and you just have a hankering for 20 pounds of some of the best ribs you've ever had, come on to Eastlake. Well, I'll take it. It'll be fun. But I think that definitely is an important part for me when I'm trying to help an investor or anybody trying to gauge an area will think would be a good long-term hold strategy or yeah, especially a new investor that's trying to uh, cherry pick a market well trying to cherry pick a market but better yet trying to set their scope of work their scope of product i should say yeah um and back to the you know i like the uh, investor profile or the buyer profile so we had somebody in here last friday we were interviewing uh an investor that's interviewing us we're interviewing mm-hmm. them uh we we're talking about hey what 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 is it you're looking for what we started with what classification yeah. areas and then what type of product. And it's important to set those standards and then help them develop those standards with the help of local contractors. Yeah, and, ex- and explain what we mean by certain standards and classifications. Because I think everybody, right. when you give them three options of A, B, or C, everybody's going to say, well, I want B. Because that means I'm not spending, I'm not just pouring all my money into it to make it an A classification. And it's not going to be a bad property like a C. And so right. I think it's good to help well, them. Well, actually, because I think on the episode prior to this one, mm-hmm. okay, so... The one you talked about, if you do this, you're going to be at top of market rate. Yeah. If you do this level, you're going to be here. And then anything less, you're going to be here. I want to talk to Tom about that. What do you look at when you see a top of, like, when you can see something is clearly the top of the market. It's it's the best. Like in the um, case you described, the 180 listing. Yeah, the, right, one, right. the 180 listing. When you look at that, what is the first thing that comes into your mind? Are you looking at, like, can't do you think, like, it can get this? Or have they reached too much? And they're, you're not going to say that it's going to necessarily appraise for that much. And when you look at everything around, there's, there's that one that is yeah, the definitely the, the apex, the shining example of everything that everything can be. you got everything in it that you can possibly squeeze into. Your granite countertops, your best fixtures you can imagine, your, your garden tubs, and, you know, it's a... Bathroom per room, if you want. I mean, whatever it is. Like, I want to talk about what counts for. They still got to come back to the demand piece, though. Yeah, it's the market. But then on top of that, what are all the pieces that that make something more valuable? And then how much can you add to what is the current market? I think is. I think that's what I'm trying to get to. Is what what are all your pieces? Let's take all of our pieces for this puzzle of. I guess highest return, right? That's what we're trying to get to for everybody. So you got all your pieces. You got what the market is. And you've got what is showing in the market. And then there's the, the actual material pieces. Here's what is in that market as far as the actual, you know, hardwoods versus carpet versus number of bedrooms versus how many bathrooms it has versus the fixtures. And can we, is there a way that we can quantify that and put those pieces together in a, all right, when you're looking at just basic numbers, what are your most valuable aspects to a rental area kind of a market and a, Really getting like a mountain brook or a graystone or like a really nicer end that is mostly a residential owner occupant kind of a market. Well, I mean, I think what we have to look at is, you know, you have those high listings. I mean, personally, I think it will eventually get there. Mm-hmm. 
between now and when that happens, um, you know, it's going to take a little bit of time. Um, and market exposure is going to tell us what the market is willing to accept at this point in time. Because if it's listed at 180 right now, well, we'll see how many people want to buy that. And it, it might eventually drop down. But from an appraisal perspective, we can look at things several different ways. Like I said, we have to include at least a minimum of three sales. So we have to find out what has sold, you know, what is on record as having sold. So we'll look at that. We'll look at, you know, what's listed for sale. You know, typically, um, that's going to be a lot higher um, because people no normally negotiate down. So, and within an appraisal, we can look at closed sales as well as pending and listings. Uh, you know, some of these listings are pie in the sky. Um, yeah. But so, a pending sale where they're, um, everything is done and they're just waiting on it to close, that tells us a lot if there, if there is one. Because if that, maybe it's not at that very top end, but maybe it's higher than what the others are typically. I'm just going to throw out some numbers. Let's say there's been some sales that have closed at 130 to 135. And let's say, you know, you have that 170 or 180 listing. Well, we can look at those two things, but we can also factor in, you know, maybe there's pending sale possibly at 150, something like that. So we can look at those. We can look at market trends. We can see, well, you know, over the past 12 months or, you know, year or two, whatever, the trend has been upward, you know. So we can kind of factor in appreciation adjustments. And if it's true appreciation, we can say, well, this sale occurred six months ago, so we can add a certain percentage if it's supportable. Everything an appraiser does has to be supportable. So we can, you know, it's just not one or two things the appraiser looks at. It's a lot of different things that they look at. So if we have closed sales at a certain level, if we've got listings at a certain level, if we've got pendings at a certain level, and we've got trends charts that show us the market is increasing, we can kind of put all those together. And you know, in the end, the appraisal is just my opinion of value, sure. but it's an educated opinion of value. So it's not like somebody that you know just off the street giving their what they think is worth. So, but we can factor all those in to come up with a value that may not be as high as that top end, but but does take into consideration the economics of the area and the closed sales and the pendings to come up with a value that you know it's just going to be higher than than you know maybe some of the, they've been in the past. So it's, it's, it's there's not an easy answer to the question. Yeah, and that's why I wanted those, to record a whole podcast. Yeah, yeah. But those are a lot of the things that we look at, and when we're especially in an area like this where you know it's in transition, um, there's a lot of good things happening, but uh, we still have to you know uh, go in with a little bit of reservation, but uh, but still use you know the information that we're given. So with that, I, you know, I know we'll, I think you're probably teeing up for like finishes. And, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So we'll go into that because I'm gonna I'm gonna throw them a curveball, uh, which is an excellent piece of information. But I want to touch upon kind of uh, plant the seed in your mind, Tom. Look, value of a local appraisal versus what what someone would see as an investor sitting on the other side of the country looking at Zillow. Mm -hmm. So just and I'm not gonna we're not gonna dive into that yet. Yeah. I just want to plant that seed. Oh my God. <laughs> well, you know, you're talking about finishes. I always tell people if they ask me, well, what should I do? What kind of finishes should I put in? I said, well, just look and see what's happening in the neighborhood. You know, and with every if, if a person wants to, you know, sell at the top of the end of the market, they need to uh, their property needs to kind of look like what the other properties at the upper end of the market. And those properties you're talking about, they do have the granite countertops. They do have either the vinyl plank flooring or the, the real hardwood yeah. floors and that type of thing. So. I always tell people, you know, kind of mimic that. Don't try to go above that. You know, you never want to have the most built. Yeah, you don't want to have the biggest house or the most expensive house in the neighborhood. But if you just kind of kind of follow what they're doing, you're probably going to be pretty safe in getting a better return on your investment. Well, the other thing that I've seen happen is uh, I've seen uh, investors over build on finishes. So they get into that street that's in transition, but they're really, really early to the to the party, mm -hmm. and then they're putting granite and stainless and, you know, all these things in there. And back to your point, it's, it's kind of overvaluating it. And it's nice to see that, but the reality of it is, you're not going to get, it, get the return. Plus, there's nothing quite worse than being in that, let's say they're in a C, C neighborhood or a C minus, and they're into the, into the party early, and they get all these nice finishes, and then they don't have a qualified applicant necessarily that gets into the property that tears it up. Uh, because they, you know, back to the, I stay here versus I live here. You know, we've talked about that, but there's no private ownership there. So are you supplying them with something that sounds nice? It's like the nice, bright, new, shiny car, sure. you know, that they don't care about necessarily. So I, I agree with Tom. I think you, you kind of go with what's happening around you. And you see not the, don't want to be the top, but, 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 one, but in, in this case, you know, we've been using the example of the 180 house. Yeah. So you don't be the first person with the 180 house. Sure. You want to I mean, these numbers can be whatever. These yeah. can be 500,000. Right. It doesn't matter. I think the principle is still more market, sir. Um, I think one thing that, that I've noticed is you don't have to. I mean, I say 
we, we're using granite countertops for a good example, but I think in that transition period of time, you don't necessarily have to have the granite countertops, but you can still have nice four by four. There's a big difference between. Yeah. So we're, we like to have an example in which, in our opinion, is the market ideally, the top end of the market is about five years out. Yeah. So buying and then rehabbing, but really on a two stage rehab. Yeah. So you're rehabbing it for rental. You still make it nice. And, and, and you're buying and holding it for at least five years. And then when you cycle out of the lease at year four, four and a half or whatever, getting ready for the fifth year for the resale mm-hmm. and the apex of the market, right? That's then you come back into your granites and your, your stainless packs or whatever. So, oh, yeah. So there, there's different strategies depending on what the particular situation is. But we, you know, I, I guess at the end of the day, it's all about making sense, making sense of it all, making sense of the scale of rehab. To what's surrounding you, and really, we talked about the leasing perspective, and we're going to have our leasing manager on in a few more episodes. Sure. We're going to talk about corporate leasing, regular leasing, AB class, C class, Section Eight. We're going to cover a lot of stuff. That will not sit in one episode. No, it's probably going to be split, but it's going to be a good episode. So we just have him on regularly yeah. to talk about a different. Yeah, but I, I think it comes back to what we were talking about earlier episode with with the amenity upgrades. Mm-hmm. What that equates to in the rental market, per se, is setting the standard for the incoming tenant. We talked about that in a previous episode. Mm-hmm. But it's also, it's attracting that tenant faster versus the house down the street. So you've got, yeah, there's more, a between, yeah, you've got better attraction to the amenities provided in this property versus the one that's right down the street. Yeah, I think that's the difference in a, in a rental market versus a trying to flip it to sell. Right. I mean, it's the what's going to make it rent first as opposed to what's going to make it rent first. See, it makes sense also, also, depending on which model. We're talking about uh, out of the three models of buy, hold, mm. buy, flip to another investor, mm. or buy, retail, resale. Okay. Yeah. So this does affect two of those out of the three. The retail, resale is a finish, and you know, we see that. Uh, we do that. And, uh, but the other two, the shorter the days on the market, whether it's buy and hold or oh, God, yes. buy, rehab, lease up, and then sell to another investor, all that makes sense to the end user. That's going to be, I mean, try selling it. And saying it will get this amount of rent, and selling someone who's expecting it to get that, and it doesn't has. So I don't know who that's worse for. Person who said it was going to get this, and then they have reputation for. So, so I guess let's let's go there since we're already on the on the threshold. So let's talk about um, when you're looking against. You're looking for an investor client. You're performing the appraisal and you're looking at other rentals. So you've got a rent stabilized property that's being sold to somebody, somebody's coming in and buy it, and you're looking for rental comps. So talk us through that a little bit. What you what that typically looks like from your end when you're looking for rental comps, how do you go about collecting those? Um, how does that differentiate from you know appraising a home for the, the sales value per se? Mm-hmm. And looking at it and making sure that yeah, this thing is you know, I, I've seen it. They, they, you guys assign a, a rental, you know, there's some rental comparables in there. Right. So we, we do our own thing, but I don't hear it from your perspective. Yeah, um, and I totally understand what you're talking about because I was in Centerpoint, which, you know, northeast of of um, East Lake, and I was doing that. You know, I was looking at uh, some rental comparables and some actual homes that sold what they sold for, and these homes were selling for more than what others had sold for. And I had to dig a little bit deeper, and I thought, well, these are turnkey properties. These are properties that investors bought, rented out, had a renter in there, and then they sold it to another investor, and that was very, you know, valuable to that investor to have, you know, it managed and already rented. Yeah, we just had the, uh, we just had one that we've listed Roofstock. We'll throw Roofstock out there again, but we had one on Roofstock that we just uh, in the in the seventy-two hour period we had one come back over asking price. That was nice. So we had three bids coming in, and the highest one was over what the what our owner clients. Uh, yeah, and, and I know that's, that's going to be like an anomaly in that area. area. If you, when you're when you're looking, and that one was in Huntsville. Either way, when, I know when, when, uh, yeah, sure. when the appraisers were looking at it, they're like, all right, all these are listed at this and this one. Yeah. Oh, why? Well, it was because it was rent stabilized. Yeah, rent stabilized, performing, and another investor said they're looking at it and it makes sense. Yeah. So, as, long, as long as it hits whatever that threshold is they have in their mind of, if I'm making this on return, it doesn't matter. Yeah, so, the, so the funny thing is, I think you're going to see as, as the market develops and which it's, you know, it is before our eyes, but as it happens, you probably see more and more of that the investor purchase to another investor. Right. And if I'm doing an appraisal on a property that they're going to rehab, rent, and then sell, then it's very important to know that ahead of time so that I can look for comparables that reflect that as well. Because if I only find uh, homes that sold maybe to owner occupants or something like that, they may sold for less. So, you know. So when you're sourced to do those, how are, how are you, how's that, how is that? Yeah, we, we view it in work orders, but how does that order come into you? And kind of explain that to us. Where, where's that information coming from to say this is a turnkey, this is a, this is a, turkey, this is a, 
owner occupant, you know, that's right. Right. Well, it you know depends on who we're doing the work for. I mean, um, they should let us know what is happening. You know, they'll say, hey, we need this appraised. Usually, it's a subject to or you know okay. after repair value appraisal, and they're going to want us to find out what the value is. And after we look at the um, the income approach, looking at the rents and so forth like that. So knowing that ahead of time, you know, from the client is what gives us the tip-off, you know, then we need to know what's happening there so that we can uh, know what kind of comparables to look for. Or right, you're not your client, is the lender, correct? Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I mean, we can use those types of, you know, rentals or sales, but we have to know what they are so we can make adjustments for that. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. So you're comparing apples to apples. Exactly. Yeah, and that's, you know, I mean, that's uh, the whole bottom line of appraising is just, you know, comparing two properties and finding out the market-related uh, uh, value differences between the two of them. And since these are big rental markets, it is one of those, so we do have to factor that in. Okay. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask about specifically when it comes to nationally, and, and it's going to be a really general statement, but I think... Remember when I was talking about the HGTV idea of flipping a house and, yeah. and gaining value in a house? D- does that model, and I'm putting air quotes around that because I think everybody understands what I say, or what I'm meaning when I say like that HGTV approach, which is bathrooms and kitchen. Are those still your big key factors for changing a value in a house? Is, is, are, are those good indicators of the highest return indicator? Parts of uh, a rehab or, or a flip. That ties into our earlier discussion, which uh, yeah, I'm with you on. I feel like we're, we didn't quite wrap that up completely. Uh, yeah. Where's the most value at mm-hmm. in, in a property? And, and, and does, does that, that change whether it's a rental resale or a rental? Yeah. Well, it depends on what the market okay. is reflecting, you know, because if, if those types of things are still important to buyers, then then that's going to be uh, driving value. So, um, you know, but typically the bathrooms and the kitchens are, you know, uh, putting the most money into those, you know, um, is going to bring you the, the biggest return um, up to a certain point. And I think a rental market is a little bit different. I think uh, renters probably like those nicer things, but I'm not sure that they would pay additional amount for that. I mean, it just depends on the market. But, you know, the market's I'm thinking of, uh, it, it might be marginal, the amount that they would. Uh, so, and then let's take that a step further also, because, you know, one of my big things, you know, even if you're the piece, I have mine, mine is curve the people. Right? So, and I want to ask Tom, it's like, you know, if, if you have two properties and one of them, and, and let's say, just for the sake of argument, they're both rehabbed to the same level on the inside. Nice finishes, you know, we'll say LVP, stainless, they spent the money well. If you're doing two appraisals and one you come up to the exteriors in great condition, yards manicured, you know, everything's clean, tidy and all that, the next one looks great on the inside, but on the outside you can't tell it from anything else around it. Right. The rattle house, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, needs maybe needs fresh you know, needs cleaning, needs painting, needs you know, something. Mm-hmm. Um, how big of a you know, how big of an impact does that have, uh, whether it's psychological or whether it is monetary from your standpoint, does one of those uh, become more appealing than the other one in the sense of comparables? Uh, does it have an impact, I guess, on one? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's going to be reflected in what it sells for, you know, because you can look at two properties. I mean, again, that's what we do. We look at properties and we uh, find out, well, why did this one sell for more than the other one? And we do interviews with, you know, real estate agents. We have to verify information. So what we can do is we can say, that one sold for, you know, $5,000 less than the one down the street, but they're pretty similar. Well, this one needed some outside work, you know. Right. I mean, it needed painting on the outside, that type of thing. But we can also pick some of that up from the listings because I've... Sure. Painted last year, extra paint or new roof or you know whatever. So right. and all that I'm sure goes into your even when you're gathering the information on the properties. Right, and some things are easier to determine dollar adjustment amounts for, but some things are intangible as well, um, and it's kind of hard to put a, a dollar amount on it. But I do believe that you know um, curb appeal does have an impact because if two homes are identical, but a buyer buys the other one that had the better curb appeal, I think that, um, that there's some validity to that and that sometimes you can quantify that sometimes you can't right. but if we can't quantify it you know with an adjustment amount we can reconcile it with an, an appraisal like if we're looking you know if we're looking at three or four sales and one of them had a better street appeal and it's sold for the upper end yeah. then we can reconcile our value with the upper end and i think the other quantifiable i touched upon it earlier in the rental the same sales days on market yeah mm-hmm. so that, that's quantifiable well, because i think anything you can put on the market make it available price right appealing yeah. Sure, but also the opposite of that. Yeah, you can, you can make up a number, essentially, and put it on a property, and eventually, you can let it sit for 700 days. Somebody will eventually, if, if you find that exact right buyer, and that's what everybody always says when they, oh, I want this much rent for it. I want this much 
for in, in, in sales in the end of it. If I, this is what I've got to have out of it because this is what I put in it. Well, if you have a cash buyer, that's that's if it's cash, they're funny. Somebody this guy sitting right here has to, you know, <laughs> his numbers have to add up for lenders to risk. And, you know, we're talking to people, hopefully they're more informed than, than the people that I've dealt with in the past. But that's just one of those things I've just heard. Well, somebody buy eventually from this. Okay, maybe. They're, look, they're looking for the unicorn buyer. Yeah, like, so, so that is not what we're looking for. No, we're not. We need a mass appeal, right? Like that's that's kind of back to the top of the market. Yeah, it will eventually. Well, we, we see, you know, we see it on the rental side. So think about yeah. people that want to hold out for optimal rental rates. You know, and Joe and I were just talking about this the other day on a case example of a new. Uh, a new or investor. Or qualifications, really, qualifications. Yeah, they're really an accidental landlord situation. So they're really not experienced investors. So they come in and they want $100 more than the rent market analysis projected as rental income. And then it's going to sit out there and then they might let it sit for a couple of months. Not you know, not listening to advice of, hey, if you let this sit for a couple of months and you're making payments on it, you're really losing. I mean, you, you've got down days. Uh, it's, it's not necessarily a turn expense, but you've got Days on market, you're not generating income that are going to take you years to recoup. Yeah. So, you know, over 50 or $100 or whatever. So think about that. That's 600 or $1,200 a year. And you've lost, you've thrown away a couple thousand dollars just to, you know, yeah. to say, yeah, I can, I can rent it here. Even though you want everything else indicates otherwise. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, what is right, so the difference between a $2,500 month rent and a $2,600 month rent? Yeah. Not a lot over a year's period of time, but if you miss two or three months, $1,200. Yeah. <laughs> One month, you know, that's <laughs> any, any profit you would have realized is long. Yeah, so, well, I, I gotta have 26, right? I gotta have 26. I can't take 25. Yeah, so pay attention. And I guess my point in saying that piece of it was pay attention to the market analysis. Listen to what we're trying to tell you. So the target is to try to get at least 30 days or less. So just making sure that, that we're pricing realistically. How much does that, does, I mean, so days on market, when you're looking at um, comparables and stuff, if, if a house happened to have been sitting in your, your three sold properties, when you pull those 30, 329 days. Yeah, if, if two of them are, you know, in the last 30 and one is in the last 329. Yeah, so, yeah, 329. <laughs> like, is that, do you look at that and go, okay, well, this one you can just throw it out and get a new one? Or do you, do you still throw that in there just with like a caveat, like a little asterisk? Exactly. Yeah, that's kind of how we look at it. I mean, you know, if. Barry Bonds it. Yeah, there, <laughs> there, there's a reason it was on the market for that long, you know. Could have been a variety of. Reasons could have been a stubborn owner, could have been a you know, could have been a fundamental repair that needed to be taken care of, or and it could have affected the price because it may very well have been worth more than than um, what it sold for. But I have seen a situation where they listed it too high, they got into uh, a spiral where you know it's like well you know they waited too long and they dropped it and people think well something's wrong with that yeah. house. So whereas psychological piece, yeah, it, you know, so those are things we look at and probably would place more emphasis on those that sold within a you know thirty to sixty day period. Yeah. Yeah, that market absorption is what I refer to it as, but that first couple of weeks is vitally important. So and that's why I think it's, Do you think it's more important. important on a sale than it is on a rent? Uh, the answer to that is yes, um, but there, it's important on both. I, I just think the greater impact monetarily is on the sales side. Sure. So you're talking about a rental rate, which you could you could recover from that much more easily than you can you know, if you've overpriced it and you've missed that optimal window, and then all of a sudden it's costing you you know, who knows? I mean, 10, 10 or tens of thousands, it, right? Like Tom said, someone gets that, like, well, maybe it was something, maybe it was something other than just they listed it down. Maybe it was that the roof was leaking when it was. And typically, back to your original example, you know, the house was on the market for 329 days. The first indication that I look at it is, was mine. But my thing is, there was something wrong here. So it should have moved much, much sooner than that when everything else around is moving. Oh, I can't I can't tell you how many times, I mean, dealing with, Individual investors from from wherever that they will look at something that's like, but I'm giving them my opinion and my breakdown. That first thing is, why do you think they had to drop the price this much, this much, and this much? Well, I use my own example. There's my my primary residence I bought 14 years ago. A guy had listed, listed for a short time, canceled it with the listing agent, went went to uh, sell it himself to save the commissions, <laughs> and priced it too high, missed his window. And then it started on the spiral. I found that the situation was the divorce situation. He wanted out of it. This poor guy. I mean, it's just nothing in the house. Big house. Bought it for sale by owner, and I bought it for a hundred thousand under under market. So, but I mean, that, and that's the exact scenario that you were yeah. referring to. Um, and it's really started off with just an attempt to save sales commissions from a real estate broker brokerage team on it. So, uh, so be cautious of that. It's not always the cheapest route is always not the best route. So I think that's an important lesson for all of us.
Hey guys, Brian and Jonathan here. Today we want to tell you about one of our preferred partners, Rootstock. So what if there was an investing platform that allowed you to collect passive income and generate average annualized returns of over 8% in markets across the U.S., not just the ones in your backyard? With Roofstock.com, you can buy, sell, and own investment properties the way the pros do it and start earning passive income right away. So don't wait. Reach out to them today and get started on Roofstock.com. I, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one thing that we don't deal with a lot, and maybe it's just for property managers, when it comes to just investing and making money off of them, I don't think we ever, I don't think we spend a lot of time focusing on retail flips. Uh, it, it, I would like to kind of open us up to at least speaking about that and, and, and your targets with that. And that is going to be in that pricing it right afterwards. So to price it right for it to hit and sell at the optimal amount again. Let's talk about what is that? You know, B class, A class markets that you're that you're doing some things like that. So can we talk about I mean similar to like your property when you you, you live in. Right. Like can we talk about the differences in appraisal for that? Because what we've been mostly talking about is really turnkey and, and how to evaluate those. Can we talk about valuation of retail flip in a, in a higher rate market? Yeah, I, I think operationally what that looks like for us is that we're we're doing that analysis on the front end as soon as, I mean, we do it, we're doing that all the time, right? Yeah. To where we're analyzing it both from a rental perspective and from a retail resale perspective mm-hmm. based on the comps. We're performing our own BPO or broker price opinion uh, and providing that to the client so then they can make a decision on finish, right? So it work. Uh, whether we're going for you know, we're going for the rental side, whether it's selling it to another investor with a rent stabilized product or buying whole for rental. But if they're going retail, we're upgrading the finishes to the granite and, you know, the nicer finishes. Uh, and there's slight differences in them, but we need to know that going into it so the expectation can be set. Plus, then, you know, speed of rehab, speed at which you put it on the market, days on market for the resale, all that comes into play. Yep. And as you get more traction with that and get more experience under your belt, you can kind of project some averages based on our practices, right? Yeah. And what I wanted to ask Tom about, do you see a difference? Do, do you, I mean, I think everything comes down to, yeah, you look at the market, you look at the market and you do comparables, but is there any different approach between what we would consider, you know, A, B, and C class properties? Do you in any way look at anything differently, whether it's in a different kind of classification property? Do you, do you ever approach any of them any differently than just... All right, here's my top 30 on the market. Here's the here's three sold in a market. Here's what I individually think about. Is each, each appraisal so – how much of it is I'm going to take in every single factor and put it in this? Is there a simple formula for a C class, a simple formula for a B class, a simple formula for an A class, and evaluation for an investor deciding between an attorney and a rent, I'm going to flip and sell? That, that's kind of the idea that I'm looking for here. Yeah, the, the process, the appraisal process is basically the same because we're just, you know, looking to see what that property is going to, the market value is going to be after completion. So the process, you know, that we go through is pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's going to be the same regardless of it. It's going to end up being a rental property or it's going to end up being some big million-dollar house in Greystone. Or right. So, the, so working for the letters, just different say, letters that are employing you, have you ever had situations where you're, you're doing an appraisal on the front end for the initial purchase? And then they're coming in and rehabbing. You're doing the after repair value appraisal as well. Same property. Have you had any of that? Um, some explain that a little bit further. So, like, if an investor's identified one, two, three on the street, mm-hmm. and they want to purchase it on the front end, and they're financing. Okay, so there's an appraisal has to be done on in, in its original state. Okay, gotcha. and then their plan is to rehab it. Mm-hmm. Some people use hard money for that. Others might use different types of lending. But if they're if they're rehabbing it and then they want an after repair value done with it, have you ever had a situation where you've done both of those pre rehab and post rehab on the same property? No, I mean basically it's a purchase and renovation mm-hmm. you know type of appraisal okay. um, because I think they're getting the I mean the 
the the property. I guess you could do an appraisal of a of a trashed out home, you know, with other trashed out homes. But that's not been my experience. I typically do a an appraisal, a purchase and renovation. Where so back to your point, I guess the lender knows going into what the situation is, right? What your intent is right. And typically, um, if you're going to a lender to get a loan on a foreclosed home that's not in great shape, the lenders, you know, the lenders that I work with typically don't finance for those. Right. You know, I mean, they they'll do the after after repair. Property. This is where you know tying back in. We'll have a, you know, we're going to line up a guest on this as well, but a hard money option to where they can take a short term loan, loan, excuse me, uh, buy the property, build in the, the financing for the rehab piece, mm-hmm. and then have the the after repair value evaluation right. done, and then do uh, convert it to long term finance. Yeah, I want to talk about. Like, would that be like a, a refinance later? That in essence, right there? in essence, it is. Yeah. So that's you know I've heard that I've heard that strategy from a few people where it's. You know, you buy, you flip, you rent, and then well, I've like, seen it. I've seen it deployed in refine. Basically, the refine scenario where they pull something out and buy the next property if it's buy and hold strategy. Mm-hmm. Plus, the other side of it is, you know, you see it deployed quite a bit if it's if they're buy, buying with the intent of selling it to another investor or a retail resale. I mean, either all three of those options be covered under that uh, post rehab. So, how about we step into the question I planted to see in your mind earlier, just the local appraisal versus uh, just your experience based on your experience, local appraisal value versus what's like a Zillow, local a Zillow app or something. Yeah. What's the difference with that? I mean, <laughs> we, we see the difference. I see the difference. Um, yeah. But we see it on, you know, resell and the, uh, you know, not picking on Zillow, but Zillow has a rent estimate as well on some of the properties. Sometimes it can be close and sometimes mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's not in the ballpark. So, so talk, talk to us a little bit about that. And, any experience? I don't know if you've had any. I'm assuming you have. Oh, so people tell me all the time. Well, Zillow says my home's worth this. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing about Zillow, they're very good on reporting sales prices of closed properties, and they're pretty good in, in uh, reporting trend, property trends because they're going on, you know, sales prices and that type of thing. What they're bad about is their estimates, and people can usually go into the Zillow website and look up um, their estimate and find out how accurate this estimate is in their area. Uh, they have the, you know, they have reports on that. Right. But the thing about it is uh, a Zill- a estimate compared to uh, a boots on the ground local appraiser, uh, of course, they don't go into the property. They don't know what the property looks like, uh, what kind of condition. They're not taking any of the factors we've been talking about into effect. I mean, exactly. The very basics. Yeah, and it's um, it's my understanding that, the, I mean, the way they get their values, you know, they, they'll take the sales prices recorded in the public records, which is accurate, then they will decide, well, what's the price per square foot of that home? And that's where the first problem comes in because the uh, square footage they get is from county records, and that's usually not very accurate. So you have uh, a pretty inaccurate price per square foot. Mm-hmm. Then they take that price per square foot, and then they multiply it by your your square footage on your home to get your assessment. And if that's wrong, then you've, you know, you've doubled up on the, on the errors right there. Yeah. So it all depends on how um, how much information they have in an area. And uh, I always tell people, uh, as estimate is more accurate in some areas more so than others. So if you live in a garden home community okay. where there's no basements, no upper levels, or you know a very high conformity in the properties and a very uh, tight range in the square footages of the homes, then your estimate may be kind of right because it'll take the square footage, which is decent, and you know you know get the price per square foot and then multiply it by yours to get yours. So it can and if all the homes are essentially the same. Exactly. So the estimate in a neighborhood like that would be more accurate than say in the more diverse neighborhood where you know you've got one story homes, one and a half story homes, where maybe people that have basements. Some of them are finished, so Zillow doesn't know what the heck's going on there. <laughs> so the value of a local appraiser is that the appraiser goes in and they research those sales and they find out, well, you know, um, the square footage of the home was, you know, X amount, and, you know, they'll look at the individual. Accurate, accurate. yeah. Yeah, they, uh, you know, we do a more customized type of valuation than the estimate does. So uh, we, we uh, research the sales, we find out, well, that was that house down the street sold low because it was a divorce situation or <laughs> something like that, um, as opposed to maybe... Uh, an arm's length transaction that would have provided a higher value. So that, those are the main differences uh, between the assessments. Well, uh, you know, something you said earlier, it's like if you look at your, your neighborhood, that most of the folks that we're dealing with from an investment standpoint are not necessarily local investors. So they're oh, yeah. they're outside the area. They don't know the marketplace like the local uh, experts would. So that's the, uh, and that's why I want to touch upon that because I think that everything we've talked about, we talked about why the house is on you know, the market for days on end, longer than everything else, the finishes, all the different dynamics. All of it comes into play, and, and, yeah. and Zillow or, or products like Zillow cannot possibly take all that into effect. It's, it's based on an algorithm 
based on information provided to the Also, circle versus a polygon, right? Uh, we talk about that as much as possible. Was that last time you texted me about the little weather man? Is he talking about polygons again? And he was. He was. He was. He was. Yeah, I'm polygons. Different ones. Um, Which yeah. one, going back to our analysis, when we're doing the analysis, so Tom understands polygons. Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, I mean, I the radius, you know, he dives into the, the streets and street by street and, and gives you that local and knowledge. I, yeah, and I think that's the difference between what, I don't want to throw anybody in the bus, but from a anecdotal experience that I've had with, with, some agents is that is that the most kosher way to put that? Sure. I've seen that a lot as somebody just putting a circle in an area and saying, "Yeah, within two miles of this." Rimmeter is a perfect example of how that works. Yes. It is literally just a radius, and that's just a rimmel thing that's not poking any fingers at any. That's just a tool. Let me pick on a tool here. That, that makes it easier. So it's just a circle. You're just going to pull up a circle, and if you happen to be in a Market like um, well, let's just take an example. You, so you talked about a. C, I was going to use two well, not, Yeah, but I was going to say if you had a C class neighborhood backing up against a B class or, or an A class, a class or, and then you're taking all of those into effect, that can really skew your numbers. Yeah, I mean, I've had that situation too before. I, I did an appraisal over in the Mountain Brook area. That's however, yeah. However, one block over it was in the county, yeah. and Mountain Brook and County is totally different. All the houses on the street over were very nice. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Um, that's one of the biggest driving forces in value that I have found. Well, school system, police coverage, fire coverage, you know, all those things come into play at that point. Mountain Brook is a special anomaly that, it is. that I have to have a really long discussion about. This is someone about why <laughs> this one house literally, uh, I was looking at a house in Mountain Brook the other day with a, with a client and, and it's right on that line of, this one is in Mountain Brook. These are not on the same street. Yeah. It is a line on the street. I was like, well, this one goes to the school. Okay, that's worth a hundred thousand dollars. Yes, yes. <laughs> this goes to the school. It's worth a hundred thousand. Yes, it's worth a hundred thousand dollars for it to be in the school system. That's a, that's a magic area, guys. We're, we're, yeah, in some of those areas, it's I mean, too you get all the amenities outside the schools and police and city services, I should say. Sure. But yeah, I mean we've we've managed properties there before. I, you know, you see it from place to place. I'm sure pretty much all of our listeners have some similar. Yeah, there's got there's always a line. Well, there's, I think the answer is there's always a line. There right. is always a line between one city and another or one area that is more valuable than another. I mean, and the, the line between A class, B class, C class, or, you know, a lot of areas have a really nice area, but right next door it is, is, you know, a more poverty, poverty stricken area. I mean, right. That's a good thing. And if you're on the line or close to that line, there is some factor that is a school system or it might not just be $100,000. It might be way more than that if you're in certain parts of like let's just shoot Hoover for for example, right next to Hoover is, is Bessemer. Mm-hmm. And there's a big draw off in rental rates examples. If you're in and this is super narrow casting, but if you're in a Ross Bridge versus a circle around Ross Bridge is gonna get like that downtown Bessemer stuff where the rental range is like four hundred dollars a month, whereas Ross Bridge the, the rental range is like twenty five hundred dollars a month and they're within a mile of each other right. in some of the circles. So that was what I was I think all of that is the importance of polygons. It was my entire thing <laughs> between that. But I think the whole point of everything we've discussed is every house, the value is tasting so many factors, and it's every one of them is going to be different. Every one of them is going to be very specific to that house. It's always going to be market first. What, what is available in the market, right? Is that how is it? If oh, yeah. you're looking at it from terms of what is the most important thing when it comes to the valuation, every one of them is going to be. From a market standpoint, that's always going to be the same. Whatever the market holds mm-hmm. is the most it's going to go for. You can be top of it or bottom of it, but market, what is the average area and what does the market hold? Okay, well, this is the area that you're going to be looking into play. You can't have a $1,200 home or a $1,200 a month rental in an area where everything is $400 a month. We call that a competitive market area. Okay. So I tell real estate agents all the time that are asking, how can I find the right comparables? And I said, well, you have to look in other areas that the, the buyer for this area would also look. So, you know, a person, you know, getting back to the Mountain Brook, a person looking at Mountain Brook probably wouldn't want to buy in a county or something like that, you know. So, and, you know, somebody that wants a particular school system, they want that for a particular reason. So, you know, it's a competitive market area, meaning that the buyer is looking for homes in these similar areas with similar uh, price range, quality levels, school systems, and that type of thing. That's how we handle that in the appraisal process. And that needs to be part of your due diligence on the front end, depending on what your what your uh, what your target strategy. is and you know, what your strategy. Um, and when we were diving into Ripstock uh, a couple days ago, just looking at the uh, do you remember the the star uh, the star levels and that's kind of like how we put our ABC class, class but then diving into it and you see that it's, you know schools yeah. um, you know all this 
all these different factors add up to whatever that rating is. Absolutely. And that's, the same thing is going to go for a buyer. It's, right. It might even just be subconsciously. They don't know why right. they preferred this over this. And it, what it boils down to is they've heard rumor has it, we have but invest- all those, those are kind of the intangibles you're talking right. about. Too, you know, right. We have investors that are buying as an investment property to, to buy and hold, to say, but they're looking at the, some of those different metrics so that they understand what mm-hmm. they're buying to attract higher quality of tenant possibly. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, it does all factor in. And it taught, one thing you touched upon earlier, uh, we really didn't dive into too much, but uh, very relevant to our listening audience is uh, the income approach when you're doing doing that. Can you touch upon that and kind of explain that a little bit? I know you mentioned it when we were talking about with rentals. Um, yeah. But just kind of lay that out for us a little bit so we understand it. We do kind of just a very basic rental approach if it's an, if the property we're doing is in a rental market, if we can get uh, reliable and decent, you know, rental amounts. But basically what we do is we look at a gross rent multiplier. Uh, we develop, um, you know, if the property's not being rented, we just find out what a market rent would be. Uh, we use the market rent if, if it does have one. And then we uh, develop uh, uh, the multiplier, and then we come up with like that. We don't work in the residential uh, area. We don't do cap rates or anything like that. That's more kind of a more uh, commercial uh, type of approach. So it's just a, just a basic gross rent multiplier. I mean, is, yeah, is it, so it's just basically whatever the average rent is on 12? Uh, we take a sale price. Is it as simple as that? <laughs> well, we take a sale price divided by the rent, and, and then, we'd, uh, then we you know, look at, at numerous rentals, um, you know, we don't just do an average, we do a reconciliation to see well which which rental is more similar to the property that we're appraising, you know. So, you know, you may have a range of uh, a GRM of ninety five to one oh five, but um, you know, maybe the house we're doing is not in such great shape or something like that. So it might be reflective of the lower um, end of the range. So that's basically yeah, that's kind of going back to we talked about the one percent earlier. You know, the example that if you have a hundred thousand dollar house you're drawing a thousand dollars a month in rent. Mm-hmm. So yeah. That's, that's your target. Yeah. Uh, that's that's a pretty good benchmark for investing wherever most people are. I think that's kind of the the, the number that a lot of gurus are sought after. Number that or higher. So yeah, everybody's yeah, sometimes in some markets that can be the unicorn. You know, we yeah. talked <laughs> talking about unicorns, but that can certainly be a unicorn. Um, yeah. But in our market, you're still able to. Uh, you can't get in California. You're not, you're, oh, no, no. From what I hear, I mean, I've never owned a house in California, but, but just from the numbers and what investors tell me, like, not even close, man. I think almost. So is there anything we've not discussed? We've covered a lot of ground today, uh, a lot of great education pieces, and I think we've uh, done a good uh, overall. Well, can, we, can we sum up? I mean, yeah. we, we talked about some, you're right, we talked about a ton of stuff, yeah, but I think for our listener is, is the sum up look at your market look look at what you're looking to buy okay you've got a property now what is that market what will that market hold from a rental standpoint what does that market hold from a sales standpoint all right those are those are your numbers to play in so then determine what finishes you want to be for where where do you have to be in the market and then it's just kind of make your home meet Whatever is the closest thing we'll just shoot for, and that's how you're going to evaluate everything. So, yeah, and I still think it comes back to local partnership. We, you know, we talked about the value of a, a good property manager firm that can help you do some of the things. That's all. Uh, but there's a lot of others out there. But just making sure that your local partner can advise you on kind of you know bring it all down and boiling it down it comes down to scope work and yeah. that. And then we talked about different a lot of different things. One of the things we talked about is buying in an area that is going through a restoration, mm-hmm. basically. And if you buy in earlier, you're at a little higher risk. So I think it's important to determine what your what your risk factors are, you know, mm-hmm. what what, uh, what you're comfortable with, what your risk range, if you will, uh, for purchase. you buy early and take the gamble on the front end or wait for everybody else to kind of, right, let everybody else kind of rehab these properties around you, let the streets come up, which is what we're seeing in East Lake. Um, specifically, but just allowing the market to prove itself, which obviously we're today is of great value. Yeah. Um, so just identifying what that is, and then just like the uh, the gentleman we spoke with last week that came in, as buying multiple markets, just trying to determine, you know, do you want to be in A, B, or C class? And for different folks, that has different meaning. But we're talking about specific price ranges. We're talking about uh, for the sake of today's discussion, we're also talking about equity gain versus cash flow mm-hmm. in different moderation or different ratios, if you will, for those different classifications. So so learning all that on the front end and partnering with a local partner that can help take care of that helps put you in the model you want to be functioning out of if you're buying one or two or multiple properties yeah. as you as you progress and add to your portfolio. Mm-hmm. So would you I mean Yeah, oh yeah. I think that's that's probably the best approach on that I would think. Yeah, it's like it's like conformity to whatever you've got, you know, that's stable, but yeah. but you wanna diversify and bounce around for there's different risks and 
what, what, what in your outliers, but there's also different rewards as well. So, that's right. That's right. So you got to weigh everything out. And, but conformity, if you, if you stay within your little bubble, it's going to be at least steady. Right. Yeah. Well, and we've talked about conformity on some level from a resale perspective today as well. So in, in the sense that you're doing what everybody else is doing around you, you don't overdevelop it mm-hmm. and you don't underdevelop it. You yeah. want to stay in, in trend with everything. So, Tom, um, I want to let you let everyone know what all you've got going on because you were talking about your your blog and, and things like that. I mean, I, that's, I would like to hear your final thoughts about what, everything we've discussed right now, but then I want to let you, you let everyone, everyone of our listeners know about, about what's going on with you and sure. how they can get in touch with you and pick your brain. <laughs> the biggest thing I think that people, the investors need to know and to work with is market value. You know, they need to know what the, the values are in the certain area that they're working in and they need to know what their, uh, what kind of uh, margins they have to work with, what kind of uh, return they want. That's going to help uh, drive what properties they buy, what they buy them for, how much they're going to invest in those properties. But you have to start with market value first because that is a given. Uh, the market is telling us something, and they need to, you know, I mean, if you go above market value, you're not going to sell. I mean, if you go below market value, you might not get as rich, a big return on your investment. So I think that's the biggest thing from, you know, just the advice I would give investors. Just work with market value. Know what the properties are selling for and know what those properties are. Know that, uh, well, you know, that one sold down the street at the top end of the range, but it was, you know, you know, it was the biggest house in the neighborhood. So you can't say, well, mine is worth that when yours is half the size. So it's important, like you said, Brian, is to work. I mean, if the, if it's a uh, a long distance investor, to work with local people that can kind of um, you know uh, get that information. You know, I mean, Zillow is good to a certain degree, but it's not going to give you the most accurate information. level expertise, right? And advice that you know. And I would add, Tom, I, I totally agree with what you just said, one hundred percent. But I also think that the rent market analysis plays into that as well for our listeners. Yeah. So because the the market analysis from the resale side, but also that's going to you know, we need to look at that rent market analysis. Those are two key factors on the front end before you take the plunge and buy the property because we've had experience in the past where we've had folks that just went out and bought properties based on information coming back to them from real estate agents who were over assessing the market analysis, right? Um, but they were, you know, I'm not picking on anybody, but, you know, you need to know, you need to do your due diligence on the front end and make sure that you understand what it is you're targeting and looking to purchase what's your rate of return at your expectation, what your expectation is for that, mm-hmm. and to find that before you ever get started. I think that that's, that's where you need to be. How much am I prepared to spend, and what am I looking for for a return? Those are two great starting places. Okay. Tell them where they can uh, find you and yeah. where they can read your blog. And- right. Well, um, I write uh, the Birmingham Appraisal blog, pretty simple, uh, com. And for any beginning investors um, that might want to get into it and learn a little bit more, I did a specific article recently. It's, it's titled something like uh, How to Get a More Accurate ARV. Okay. Um, so I- anybody that um, is just getting into it, there's a couple of things that they need to know that maybe they can provide to their appraiser or that they can use to get the information that they need for Finance, you know, to provide that information to the lender for financing, um, but uh, but the blog itself just covers any kind of questions that I've gotten from individuals, whether they be real estate agents, home buyers, home sellers, lenders. I started it about 10 years ago when I started getting questions from people, and I thought, well, if somebody, one person has a question, somebody else probably does. So. I've got about 500 posts there now, so if you can't find your question answered there, please let me know, and I will try to answer it for you. Because I'm always, a whole new article. Exactly. That's <laughs> the idea behind our podcast. It is exactly the idea. Yeah, questions are asked at HBC pieces, so let's get it out there for everybody. Exactly, yeah. So, I mean, there's there's questions there not only for investors, but um, for, you know, anybody that maybe got an appraisal back, um, you know, and they didn't understand how to read it or something like that, or maybe from the real estate agent that wants to find out how to look for sales, that type of thing. So, do you have anything out there about how to challenge? Uh, I do. Precious, precious <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I need that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I actually have a download or they can contact me. Um, you can get my contact information from the blog. But if they need just a one-page um, thing on how to challenge an appraisal, just let me know. I can get that to you. So we just want to restart a whole new episode of the podcast right now? How do we challenge an appraisal? Just send everyone to Tom. Tom, you got, you got the article out there. I just remember that about, you know, when the, when the market started to, to dive and appraisal rates were still staying up for the benefit of the municipalities. And trying to adjust it, I actually challenged it on my house and was successful in getting reduced. And I know that uh, I know Ralph had, you know, they, they did a large portion of their portfolio and were successful. But it takes some work to I mean, mm-hmm. get that stuff together and, and know what to do. So it's a very, very big value add. Uh, I haven't seen anybody actually offer that service 
on a large scale. I've heard of a few firms that are actually trying to help people with that as a as an extra service or level of service. But uh, I was kind of joking, but I have to. Real, I mean, really, the answer is just, I'm going to have to go read your blog and, and yeah. read that, that specific article. And everyone else is listening. I really encourage you to do this. I would say it's important. Pay attention to those notices you get, just to make sure you're in line. I mean, kind of the same thing in reverse, but make sure your appraisal is in line with everything around you yeah. and that the evaluation you're giving you is correct. Well, one tip that I would give somebody, one simple thing that they can check is if you've, uh, most people have an appraisal on their home when they purchased it or whatever, maybe when they refinanced it, if they can check their square footage on uh, their appraisal against what the county has, because if the county has more square footage, then they're going to assess you more. So that's just a, a tip that they can start with. Yeah, that's great tip. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> All right. Um, so we got that. And, and what about, you know, uh, I guess you want to go come through your, your website to contact people? Well, they can call me. I get phone calls from all across the country. Even though I can't do appraisals, some people have sure. questions, and I'm right. more than glad to answer them. But uh, you just give them a yeah, phone number. Sure, sure. So it's area code 205 243 9304. So if I'm not able to get or answer the uh, phone right away, I'll get right back with you. But I'll be glad to answer any kind of appraisal related question. Okay, if, they, if they're on your blog, can that, does that direct them to being able to send you, you know, an email? Or, or yeah. If they're like, I got this, I don't want a crazy question. I got some crazy question. I want to call them and leave them a madman voicemail because I'm going to sound like a nut. Yeah. yeah. Put it all down. Yeah, there's a, uh, yeah, a contact me um, tab. So yeah. they can click that and it'll, it'll come right to me. So right. If you forget all of that, and yeah. you're just one of our loyal listeners. Sure. Uh, so we, you know, we have our email up now, podcast at ahiproperties.com. Yeah. And that distributes to both Jonathan and myself. So we're we're happy to get the get the message over to Tom or answer any questions you might have for us. Okay. Yeah, so again, that's podcast, no S on the end, just podcast anywhere at ahiproperties.com. And don't forget June sixth. June uh, June fifth. June fifth. Fifth. We have the a Alabama Property Management Summit, the inaugural Alabama right. Property Management Summit. Uh, it's going to be a great event here in Pelham, Alabama at the uh, Surpro of Permanent Facility. That's right. And Brian's going to be on that panel. That's right. Um, You're going to have to do one of the podcasts. I'm going to have as little to do with the actual <laughs> panel as possible. I'll be in the back with a microphone. And uh, so we're, we're going to try something new. He's going to uh, do some. Uh, so that'll be a neat that'll be a commentator, right? Yeah, I'm going to yeah. comment. Play-by-play play action. Yeah. I'm going I'm to talk about everybody up there. Y'all are going to hear the dirt from the, from the bathroom. Where <laughs> I can't hear what I'm saying. You know, gallery. I'll hear it later, though. He's going to remember that. Hey, oh, Brian, are you an actual listener? Or I am just, an actual okay, listener. Well, yeah. All right, guys. I'm going to get the super secret information. All right. Sounds okay. good. But thanks again, Tom. We, we've enjoyed having you on the Absolutely. show. Absolutely. And, and uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, if you're on iTunes, oh, by the way, if you're on iTunes, listen to iTunes, please comment. Uh, subscribe, comment, review, all those things that help drive new listeners to the podcast. Share us, please, um, if you're listening on Podbean or any other podcatcher that's out there where I just doesn't matter. If you're a listener and you think someone else would be interested in this information, please subscribe, please share, please review, because um, the more you do that, the, the higher statistics would go up in iTunes and all those other fun things that I don't quite get yet. I've been looking at those numbers. They're interesting. I don't quite know what I'm looking at here. It's different than the market analysis, but it's the same concept. It's all fun. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, we will talk to you next week. Thank you again. Um, and I still don't have a sign off, right? No, we're still waiting for recommendations. So. All right. That sounds like so that's, we have closed it out. It's a challenge. So that is. Give us a sign off line. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Have a great week. See you later. Hey guys, Brian and Jonathan here. Today we want to tell you about one of our sister companies, the Birmingham Insurance Group. We all know to maximize cash flow and ROI, investors and property managers need an insurance broker who knows their business. Birmingham Insurance Group, aka BIG, does just that. They specialize in the single family residential rental market with customized products that really check all the boxes and they're at affordable rates. You have 24-7 online access where you can pay your bill, add or remove properties, issue certificates, and best of all, everything is on your schedule. Don't worry, they do business in all 50 states, so reach out to Richard Davis and the team to see what Big can do for you. Call them today at 205-616-1107 or online at bhaminsgroup.com.